Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. As many of you know, if you've been listening to the podcast, we were at the National Association of Women in Construction Annual Conference in Charlotte, North Carolina a few weeks ago. While we were there, we got to meet so many interesting women working on all kinds of innovative and exciting things in construction. Over the last two weeks, we spoke to two diversity and inclusion specialists, Rebecca Francis and Julia Hodum, and had some great conversations around those issues. But another incredible thing that happened at the conference was that NAWIC put on a women's PPE fashion show. That's right. We had all of these kick-ass NAWIC women modeling on the stage, walking through the crowd, wearing women's workwear brands. It was so powerful. And I have to say, pretty glamorous for the construction industry. And today's interview is with one of the awesome leaders who modeled Juno Jones boots in the fashion show. Allison Jensen, the tradeswoman tigress, is the president and CEO of Frontline Floor Coatings in the greater Colorado Springs area. She is also the founder of Girder Skirts, a community for tradeswomen to support and connect with each other. Allie is also a sought-after speaker, bringing her insight, experience, and rebellious spirit to the stage with a passion to inspire her audiences to step into their confidence and unleash the badass that she believes resides in all of us. I think so too, Allie. (laughs) She has over 15 years of trades business experience, both in the trenches with the dirty work and behind the scenes as CEO. Welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast, Allie. Thank you so much, Emily. I'm very excited to be here. Every time I hear that intro read about myself, I just kind of sit here and smile and go, yep, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's important. <laughs> well, where did you get the name Tradeswoman Tigress? So a tiger has always been one of my favorite animals. And I just really kind of grabbed on to those two words, badass. And just over time and, and doing what I've done, people have just started calling me a tigress. And so I just said, well, I'll run with that. I like that. So it, that's kind of how it came to be. <laughs> Wait, are you saying it's like tiger and badass combined? Yeah, kind of, sort of. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> that's good. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you kept it and are like continuing it because it definitely describes you to a T. <laughs> well, tell us about your business, Frontline Floor Coatings, first. Let's just start out by telling us about the business a little bit, and then you can talk about your journey. Sure. So Frontline Floor Coatings is a concrete finishing subcontracting business in the Colorado Springs area. So we specialize in all things concrete flooring, polished concrete, stained concrete, epoxy coatings, concrete urethanes, those kinds of things. That's what we do. Okay. Well, that's definitely a niche. So how did you come to that place? What was your journey? So in 2012, late 2012, we joined a partner starting this business. And at the time we were doing kind of like a little bit of everything. We were doing resurfacing of 
tile and grout. We were doing resurfacing of vinyl floors. And then of course, the concrete side of the business. The partnership did not work out, but my husband and I saw the value in what could be for this business. And so we just decided to really hone in and niche ourselves. And we just started off by asking just a few simple questions. What are we really good at? And then who are our best customers? And we really catered our business and streamlined and niched ourselves to fit those parameters. And our business has grown exponentially ever since. That's so interesting. So by taking a broader business and narrowing it down, you've actually grown the business that way? Yes. And why do you think that is? I think it's because we really just focus on what we're good at. We stay in our lane, so to speak. I'm sure you've heard that phrase before. And, you know, so we just, we focus on the things that we're really good at that we can absolutely deliver a hundred percent on. And our customers really appreciate that we do what we say we're going to do. We show up when we say we're going to show up and we deliver exactly what we told them we're going to do. Okay. So let's go back a little bit to your, I guess your, your journey where you started out, were you always in this business, like as a family business, or is it something in the construction industry, or is it something that you came to later? So when I first started out in business for myself, I actually owned a window cleaning franchise. And and we kind of, we stuck our toe in the water of construction by doing like final construction cleans on residential construction and, and things like that. But then the economic crash of 08 and 09 came and mm-hmm. we lost like tens of thousands of dollars overnight because window cleaning is based on residual income. And at that time there was no residual income. So we ended up selling that business. We were fortunate that we were able to sell it. And then we stumbled into the partnership, but everything construction related, everything concrete finishing related I learned after the fact. I trained myself. I learned it as I went. My husband right along with me. Mm-hmm. And we've made a successful business of it just by getting out there, getting dirty, learning how to do things, sometimes the hard way, learning these things. But that's how I learned everything about concrete is just getting out there and doing it. So when you were starting out their window washing company, was that something you did with your husband also? It was. It was our business. I had kind of a corporate America job on the side while we started that. But then I really hated it. I hated that job. I was just a number there. Mm -hmm. Wasn't appreciated. I'm sure many people can relate to that feeling. And I just said, you know what? We bought a business for a reason. So like my personality, let's go all in, balls to the wall. Let's do this. (laughs) (laughs) Did you buy it as an existing business? No, no. We grew it from the ground up. Okay. Big difference, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we had to go out and get the customers, everything. Yep. Okay. So you came from corporate America. You started your window business and then the crash of 08, 09 hit, and you ended up transitioning to your more construction and your frontline floor coatings business. And that's basically where you are now, but you're the CEO of your company. What is that like? So it's definitely interesting. There's not a lot of women business owners in the construction industry, for one. So I had to go outside of the construction industry to find mentors and people that would help me grow personally and professionally. There's just not a lot of mentors, female mentors specifically, 
in the construction industry. And so that's where I really just kind of discovered my love of the construction industry for one, but also the love of the underdog, right? Like Mm -hmm. I'm an underdog myself. And I knew that if I was going through this journey, trying to figure out how to be successful in a man's world, so to speak, I wasn't the only one. Like I could not possibly be the only person, the only woman experiencing you know, the isolation of being a business owner in a male dominated industry, the the loneliness of not having someone that I could really talk to and relate to about business challenges. Because, you know, when you're out networking and and those kinds of things, the tough conversations are not what you're going to talk about (laughs) when, when you're trying to build rapport and create relationships. And so trying to find people that somewhat understood that and could help me through those challenges, I had to go outside of the construction industry to find women mentors to help me. Yeah, that's so interesting. When I was first starting with my husband, also our business in the trucking industry, I had a similar situation. And I ended up I never really found a mentor in that industry. But I ended up now I have them, but early on, I ended up like just going on Facebook, finding someone else that seemed in a similar position to me and making friends with them. How did you find yours? So in Colorado Springs, we're very much a relationship-oriented town when it comes to doing business. So we're a big city, but we still have that kind of small town vibe and you got to know the right people. Mm -hmm. And so I just started going after networking organizations that were based on women entrepreneurs. And I Mm -hmm. found a place called E-Women Network. And E-Women Network is all about female entrepreneurs supporting women as business owners, as the CEOs. And I found some coaches and professional development experts within that organization that truly helped me to learn what it really means to be the boss and to run a business effectively. And so that's where I found my mentors was by networking. And did you actually take classes with them or was it just from conversations? I did. I signed up, you know, educating myself is the best way to do things, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I did. I took some courses. I mean, I've read books, I've done workshops, programs that are six months to a year long that I stayed a part of like mastermind organizations and things like that. So to really hone in and make sure that I was staying focused on my goals and also having someone holding me accountable for trying to reach those goals. It was a huge benefit for me. I'm just curious because I know you're on the speaking circuit. How did you get involved with that? Again, I felt like I was not the only one out there and that a lot of the issues women face in the construction industry, they're not going to change unless people talk about them, unless Mm -hmm. people are catalysts for that change. And my father always taught us to lead by example and That's just what I felt called to do is to lead by example, that if I can do this, not knowing one thing about concrete finishing when I started, and now I'm the CEO of my company, we're successful, we have a great reputation, you know, all those things, you know, from where I started to where I am now seems like a million years ago. But if I can do it, absolutely any other woman in this industry can do it as well. And is that why you decided to create your organization, Girder Skirts? It is. It is. Can you tell us about that? 
Yeah. So Girder Skirts, tradeswomen supporting tradeswomen is all about just creating that community and that educational piece, professional development piece that, you know, a lot of your trade schools don't teach you. They don't teach you those kinds of soft skills and Mm -hmm. those tools that you need to navigate successfully through any career, really, but specifically in the construction industry where, you know, women's credibility is questioned the minute they step foot on a job site. And so I know that these young women like coming into the electrical trades, plumbing trades, welding trades, things like that, you've got to have a certain amount of moxie to even want to be in those fields. But your confidence in yourself can really get beat on when you're out there in the field working day in and day out with, you know, people that question whether you're good enough or they talk down to you or you've got terrible environments that you're having to work in. I know sanitation is a huge, huge issue for women in our industry. And so I wanted to be that support mechanism, whether they wanted to, you know, work on professional development, they needed to work on their mental game or their mindset, which is a huge key component. And so that's how I created Girder Skirts is that it needed to be separate from frontline floor coatings. But this is truly my passion is helping to empower other women to know that they can do this job, to know that they can be successful. And some of them may even, you know, go out and end up starting their own companies. So is this done through classes, through meetings? How are you supporting the women that belong to Garter Skirts? So I have a YouTube channel and I interviewed tradeswomen from across the world. So I have my interviews up on my YouTube channel. It's under Girder Skirts. I also come in, I do keynote speaking. I can do educational workshops. And then, so most recently, I am partnering with another gal and we are starting our own tradeswomen school here in Colorado Springs. So tell me more about this. So it's a SoCo Tradeswomen for Southern Colorado Tradeswomen, and it is a school to help women get ready for apprenticeship programs mm-hmm. or circumvent an apprenticeship program and still be able to work as an electrician, plumber, what have you, in a non-union setting. I know some states are more union heavy than others, and Colorado is not really a union heavy state, and so trying to get these women the proper training when maybe they already have a family started or they don't have a lot of money to pay for the programs from the union, that kind of stuff. We are helping them to still get out there, get actively employed and start making a healthy wage for themselves and or their families. So amazing. And can you tell us what Girder Skirts means? Where did you come up with that name? So I'm also a military brat. So my father was in the Air Force, but my my father was also a civil engineer and an architect, which don't normally go together, but he was. (laughs) And so he loved acronyms. And if you know anything about the construction industry, it's very heavy with acronyms. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I like to do acronyms. I like to have play on words. And a girder is the main horizontal support beam of any structure that all the other support beams tie into. And then skirting is also a construction term, but it also implies feminine. And so girder skirts was born. So are you taking back the skirts as a slur from the old days? 
I guess you could say that. Yeah. Cause you know, that's true. Like in the forties and fifties, they called women skirts. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's like, it's like reclaiming, reclaiming. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> well, you've talked about how you have to be a rebel to succeed in these fields as a woman. And I'm just curious what you mean by that. How do we both blend in, I guess, and assimilate with, you know, the existing status quo, but also be a rebel and succeed? So for me, rebel is also an acronym and it stands for real example of brave, empowered leader. Ah, that's beautiful. And so to me, it's, it's being your authentic self. And when you're authentic self, when you're really being true to yourself, your values, what you believe in, you're being true to your strengths, that's when you become a rebel and you can really excel and exceed when you tap into those things. And you're not trying to be somebody else. You're not trying to do something that you're really not that great at. It's not to say that you can't learn those things, but when you focus on your strengths and you use your strengths to promote yourself in your chosen career path, there's a lot of magic that happens because that also helps you to be more confident. You can set clear and healthy boundaries. And it also helps you to have a clearer picture of where you're going. You know the goals that you want to achieve based on your values, your strengths. And it's easier to achieve them because you're not in the weeds with a lot of distractions. You mentioned a few minutes ago about issues that you know a lot of women are facing on construction sites and in these industries. And you, you said something about sanitation on the job site. And that caught my interest. I'm wondering what you're referring to. Can you talk just a little bit about that? Yeah, of course, of course. So sanitation and safety are two of the biggest obstacles to women continuing a successful career in the construction industry, especially when they're tradeswomen. Most of us picture a construction site as a dirty, yucky place to be with a bunch of sweaty, yucky guys. (laughs) And (laughs) the restrooms don't fall far from that description either. And, you know, I think there's a combination of things that need to happen to change this situation on a job site is that a general contractors need to make sure that if there are women on their, their sites, tradeswomen, that the tradeswomen get their separate bathroom, that it's only a women's restroom. The second thing is to make sure that those restrooms are being cleaned on a regular basis, which a lot of time it's kind of, you know, bare bones, they'll clean it when they have to kind of thing. Mm -hmm. With the outbreak of COVID, I want to say that the sanitation on job sites improved dramatically because there was actually hand washing stations there. There were extra restrooms to kind of keep people social distanced and things like that. But now that restrictions have lifted, it's kind of gone right back to the old way. And one thing that really would help us is that from the very start of a project, when it's in its design concept phase with the architects, is that when they're issuing and creating the specs or the spec manual for a project, put right in there, there needs to be this kind of sanitation regime on the job site. There needs to be this many toilets. There needs to be hand washing stations. And then when the project goes out for bid, all of that cost will be included right from the get-go. It's not an add-on 
for like an owner to be like, oh, that's not in my budget. Let's cut some costs where we can. And usually sanitation is one of the first things they cut costs on. And in this day and age where more and more women are coming into our industry, if we want to retain that quality worker, we need to make it as best as possible situation on a job site for that worker. The construction industry, just like the restaurant industry, we're struggling to retain people right now. And Mm -hmm. if we're going to, you know, sanitation is something super simple that we can do to help retain our employees. Yeah, it's so important. And there was a conversation going in the Hazard Girls Facebook group actually about this recently. People were saying that sometimes they'll have their own sanitation, but it's so far away that they have to actually like leave for 20 minutes to just use the bathroom. And then they are seen as like lazy or like they're goofing off because they're not there. Right. So yeah. Is this, is this part of the issue too? Yes, definitely. Definitely. You know, they, they try to accommodate and give the women privacy, but they put it so far away that now it's interfering with her work day, right? Like if it takes 20 minutes, you know, that's 20 minutes that she's not on her tools and not able to perform her job the way she needs to. The other thing is, is that, you know, there's not always a trash receptacle close by. And as a woman, if I need to dispose of some feminine hygiene products, there's not really a discreet way to do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then there's there's the stigma against that on a job site from the male counterparts as well. So there's just a lot of things in regards to sanitation, you know, the design of the toilets even, it all needs to be updated for real world use and circumstances. You mentioned something in the notes before we talked, and I'm very interested to hear about this. You were talking about tips and tricks to stay feminine in the construction industry. And I'd first of all, I'd love to know what you mean. (laughs) And I'd love to hear some of these tips and tricks. Okay, well, thank you for asking. I appreciate that. A lot of times when you're the only gal on the job site in the office or whatever, and you're constantly surrounded by guys, you start picking up on their characteristics and their traits. And it's just natural. You're adapting to your environment, but you start acting in a more masculine way. And so, you know, throwing jokes around with the guys and and those kinds of things, that can be all fun and games for a while. But then they're going to start thinking, okay, you are one of the guys. And then they're going to cross a boundary. And that's a Mm no-no. So again, staying true to yourself staying true to what makes you feel good. You know, all of us have to wear work clothes and get yucky and those kinds of things out on a job site. But when you're not on the job site, wear a dress, you know, wear clothes that make you feel confident, make you feel sexy, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But obviously not on a job site. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's not always appropriate. But you know, Jim Rohn, I've read a lot of his books and things like that. He's a motivational speaker. But he said that we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. Mm -hmm. I think about this all the time. And if you're spending most of your time with guys, (laughs) then you're going to be the average of those guys. And it's going to be more masculine traits that you pick up on and, and you start acting that way. So if you have a boyfriend, if you're married, if you have sons then that's even more time you're spending with men, right? So I'm a big proponent of women's support organizations. Yet another reason I created Girder Skirts 
is to help women be around other powerful women. Yeah. Like you don't have to be, if you are feminine, then you should be able to stay feminine. If you want to, you don't have to turn into a man in order to, to succeed in a male-populated industry. Is that Correct. Mean? Yes. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. <laughs> <laughs> is this what holds women back or are there other issues? I would say that having support and mentorship from a coworker or even outside of work to help them feel supported mm-hmm. in doing what they're doing is a barrier. So sanitation is a barrier. Having female mentors is a barrier. Communication is another one. You know, we get into our zones in our set professions in the construction industry, and we start throwing around those acronyms like I was talking about. And for a new person coming in, they're sitting there going, what the heck are they talking about? There's all these acronyms and things. And so- Oh, yeah. I have an acronym app on my phone. I never know what people are talking about <laughs> with acronyms. I'm just bad at it. Right. So, yeah, if, if you're new, then it's even worse. Yeah. So communication is huge. And I mean, I think, you know, the whole diversity, equity, and inclusion movement it is a very great thing. And I think it's it really encouraging us to have these more difficult conversations mm-hmm. and opening the door for some really meaningful conversations as well so that we can just better our industry as a whole. But being able to communicate effectively and confidently and clearly to our male counterparts is a big deal. And that's one of the things I also talk about in my keynote speaking. So can you just expand on that a little bit? Because I, I would love to know what you mean when you, when you talk about communication. I know there's much more to it than acronyms and not knowing the acronyms. So are we talking about a different way of speaking to someone if they are a man? Or is, is this just, you know, are you talking about communication overall? Yeah. So I think there are definitely differences in male and female communication. For example, women, we like to use our hands and have hand gestures and things Mm -hmm. like that more. Whereas men tend to not do that so much. Women are more engaging. They'll, you know, they'll maybe touch your arm or something when they're talking, or some will even give a hug to show support guys don't do that. So, so, and for me, I'm a hugger. I like to hug people. So, so I have to kind of rein it back in because I'm not going to go around hugging all these guys all the time. Right. Right. (laughs) So there's like, you know, there's body language that is a form of communication. And then it's also the words that we choose to use. So like you want to focus on what you do want them to know instead of what they don't need to know. For example, You can say something like, I really appreciate everything you have done for me in this job, but I do need to talk to you about the raise I was promised 18 months ago and never received. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of phrase it that, you know, you're very appreciative of what they've done for you and how they've helped you, but you also need to hold them accountable for something they promised you and they didn't deliver on. Interesting. So... Finding ways to approach them that, so are these ways that women need to talk to men or is this just ways that like really anyone needs to communicate, you know, in a job situation, especially construction? Yeah, I feel like it's kind of universal communication skills that I talk about. It's not just necessarily construction specific. However, they do help out a lot in construction. A lot of times, Things can get tense on a construction site, especially with deadlines and 
you know, supply chain issues and, and things like that. So it's very important to keep our emotions in check and stick with facts when mm-hmm. we're speaking to people as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to understand the whole thing about like speaking to men on the construction site. I mean, I guess I'm a little concerned about women having to like maybe tiptoe around offending people. Sometimes you have to do what you have to do to get the best result for yourself. But is that what you're saying? Or is it more just like, really, everyone needs to work on this? I think it's more really everyone needs to work on this. It's not just women, because it's also the way that men respond to women. Mm -hmm. And that or the way they speak to women, some guys have an issue with that. And it's, it's a culture thing. And so, you know, when you're trying to make culture shift, it's never an easy process. (laughs) So it's an overall maybe change that is needed in the workplace to make it more, I don't know, amenable to having more open conversations, more, I don't know, is it gentler? Is it? I think it's that because, you know, I've talked to women who are you know, very confident women, very strong in what they do. And I hear it all the time that they're referred to as bitchy. Mm -hmm. And there is a way to communicate effectively without being bitchy. But at the same time, if that person on the other side of you is convinced that you're bitchy, no matter what, there's not, you know, it's going to be very difficult for you to change that impression that they have, no matter if you sugarcoat everything or not. And these are just basically things that men don't have to worry about. Is that right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. And I'm, I'm just interested to hear a little bit more about body language. You talked about body language. You touched on it, but can you give us a, you know, I've actually had requests in the Hazard Girls group for, to find a speaker on body language and I haven't been able to find anyone yet. So anything you would like to share with us, we, I think would be really interesting. Okay. All right. Well, let's see what would be a good one. So When you're talking to someone and they have their arms or their legs crossed, they may not be as open-minded or open to receiving what you are trying to communicate. If people are more relaxed, their feet are maybe standing hip-width apart, maybe their arms are relaxed or their hands are in their pockets a little bit, Mm -hmm. then they're probably more open and receptive to hearing what you have to communicate. But if they're just sitting in their chair with their arms crossed or something like that, it shows that they're very closed, that they're not thinking about what you're saying. They're not receiving what you're saying. And it may be a good opportunity for you to just say, hey, Joe, you look puzzled. Do I need to clarify anything for you? Or, you know, just not necessarily call them out, but call Mm -hmm. them out. (laughs) If that makes sense. So you can kind of communicate and just, you know, ask questions, always ask questions, because most of the time, questions are not as offensive as if you make like a direct statement. Mm -hmm. I noticed you're sitting here with your arms crossed, what's going on with you? That's not going to be received very well on the other side. But if you just ask a question, like, you know, just pause for a moment maybe address the entire room. If you're like talking to a group of people or something and say, is everybody tracking with me? Do you guys have any questions that I need to answer? Mm. So if someone so say you want to talk to someone about something and you do notice that they're doing that, is it better just, just to like say, you know what, I'm going to come back later and do this another time when they're not like in such a 
arms crossed position. Yeah, that's always an option. Or if it's, I mean, if it's something important and they're just, you know, completely shutting you down, it may be pertinent to go to their supervisor and say, you know, I tried to have a conversation with Joe about this, but he was either too busy or just didn't seem like he wanted to hear what I had to say and do that. But, and that's always tough because you don't want to be seen as a snitch or, you know, anything like that. But at the same time, it's super important that you advocate for yourself because yeah. nobody else is going to do it for you. So true. And what about women? I mean, what as a leader, as a, a female leader, are you very cognizant of trying not to like close your arms and like shut yourself off? Do you have to try to purposely make your body language more welcoming? Or is that not really a concern once you're in leadership? Sometimes it can be because there can be some situations that ruffle my feathers, you know, and I'm, I'm, you know, I have emotions too, <laughs> you know, and so there's times when I can get really frustrated. And I just have to kind of like, just in my head, just do a mental check, take a deep breath. Sometimes I have to count to 10. <laughs> uh-huh. But I just have to do those things. And I also, sometimes I just sit there and go, okay, why is this person coming from this angle? You know, maybe just trying to think, what would be the reason that they're not as receptive to this? Just try and take a moment to put yourself in their shoes and have a little bit of empathy. You know, maybe Joe is struggling with a separation from his spouse at home that we don't know about, and he's taking it out on you. Or, you know, maybe they have a sick parent or, you know, we all have the same kind of life issues, you know, like both of my parents went through terrible diseases and I had to go care for them while trying to run my business and run a family. And it was hard. You know, when my kids were younger, I had three teenagers in the house at once and I thought I was going to die <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, they're all different personalities, mm-hmm. but man, when they decided to clash, I mean, it, it rocked the whole house, right? So we all have these exterior circumstances of life outside of our jobs and just taking a little breath and going, okay, maybe there's something deeper going on that's causing this person to react this way. It kind of allows us to detach emotionally a little bit mm-hmm. and maybe come back in and have a clearer head about the situation. It sounds like a lot of the skills you're talking about kind of come from like the parent toolbox in a lot of ways. <laughs> they do, but it's also a mindset, you know, yeah. kind of thing. The mindset toolbox is that you know, focus on the stuff that you can control, not what you can't control. Right. Because trying to focus and force change from something that's out of your control, it'll drive you crazy. Yeah, so true. Well, Allie, where can our listeners get in touch with you and how can they get involved with Girder Skirts? So they can get in touch with me. They can email me. It's girderskirts at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, all under Girder Skirts. I monitor my messages, so you can send me a direct message through Instagram or Facebook. If you would like to support or get involved and become part of the Girder Skirts community, I do have a private Facebook page for the Girder Skirts community where we can talk about, you know, challenges, victories, all those kinds of things in a more private, secure setting. I love that. Well, Allie, thank you so much for being here today. And I'm definitely going to have to go and 
repost all of that awesome footage of you strutting around on the stage in the women's PPE fashion show. That was so cool. Oh my gosh. It was really fun, Emily. And I'm super excited. I got to meet you and Ryan in person and rock those Juno Jones boots. You did rock them. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.